Hey, this is Keith. I'm the pastor of Blaze Church. Welcome to our podcast. I know today's message is going to inspire you, encourage you, and lead you to know God more. If you want to connect with us, visit us online at blazechurch.org. Enjoy today's message. I want to start off this morning by, by saying this, this statement to you. I believe that every story matters. Like, I believe that. And I know there's, there's got to be a little convincing that I have to do for some of us because when I say that, there might be this tension that wells up in you that, well, my story doesn't matter. What, what story do I have to share? And, and if, our, if I could do one thing this morning, somehow, Paul says, like, if I could persuade you is some things that he says, if I could persuade you in some way to see your story has purpose. Your story matters. You have value. Some of you, the one thing you need to write in that box today is simply this, my story matters. Because how often do we hear the opposite in culture? Whether it's directly said to us or indirectly, right? How many, how many know Instagram, the verified check mark? Right? Some of you think your, your, your stories don't matter because you ain't verified. Like, no, they matter. They've got the blue check mark. They have arrived to a level of influence in this world. I want you to understand every single person in this room has a story and every single story matters. This week, I got to meet someone new through a Facebook marketplace deal. How many know that those could sometimes be very sketchy interactions? It's okay. Sometimes you just gotta go for it and trust that the item is what it shows. And I felt good about this one. And I was like, all right, I, I tried a little bit of, of, of negotiating and the person was pretty firm on the price. And I said, okay, I'm gonna go for it. So I went down and met the person at their home. And I gotta tell you, I met the sweetest lady. She was so sweet. She had what I was, what I was gonna purchase all out on the front for me. And I, I said, this looks like it's in good condition. And I just started asking questions about her story. I said, how long have you been living here? And, and I could tell by her accent that she wasn't native to America. And she told me when her family came over and she told me about how her house burned down nine years ago. Like she just started telling me her story. It's like, you know what? God, God loves you. And I sent her a message afterwards on Facebook and said, hey, I was so moved that you shared part of your story with me. I just want you to know that God loves you and he sees your story. And, and it just took the time to appreciate someone's story. So the person sitting next to you has a story and you have a story. And this morning, what I want us to discover is that when the grace of God meets our stories, suddenly your story gets to be used for his glory. Like that's, that's the purpose of where we're going today. Your story has the potential to be used for his glory. So let's talk a little bit about Galatians, some history for those of you that are super into history and then the 95% of you that won't care at all during this segment, but I care. Galatians was written around AD 50. So how cool is that? What we're about to read that has been preserved for us was written 15 to 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus. Like that blows me away. Like th this material that we believe is inspired by God, biblical text, history dates it and validates it and says this was written sometime in the 50s. The, the, not the 1950s, but the 50s. 15 to 20 years. 
after Jesus rose from the dead. And it was written by a man named Paul. And we're gonna hear about his story today. And Paul wrote it to a group of Christians, of believers in an area of Asia Minor known as Galatia. That was the name of their city. And he wrote to them for this specific purpose. And you're gonna hear this come up almost every single week during the series. The reason why Galatians was written is because the believers in Galatia were beginning to adopt a false gospel. They were beginning to believe in not the gospel that was shown to them, not the gospel that Paul and the apostles preached to them, but we're gonna call it for now, another gospel. And we'll see what Paul has to say about that term. So Paul is so moved in his heart to hear that these believers are turning from the gospel to another gospel that he writes Galatians to them and we get to read his writing today. And we're gonna see how it still matters for us today. I read this quote in one of the studies. I wanna read it to you now. It says, grace permeates Galatians. The letter is about protecting the truth of the gospel, which declares what God has done in Christ for sinners. So that's this, this commentator's uh, thoughts around Galatians that this letter is truly written so that the gospel would be protected so that we would understand what God has done in Christ for sinners. And today, what I want us to discover in the context of stories is three things. I want us to discover that the gospel changes everything, the gospel changes us, and the gospel changes others. Okay, so say this with me. Say the gospel changes everything. The gospel changes us and the gospel changes others. Now I'm using this phrase, gospel, gospel, gospel. And I think it would be fitting for us to have a working definition of what I mean when I say gospel. Because maybe for you, when you hear the word gospel, you have a definition. How many of you, when you hear gospel, you think of a music genre? It's okay, right? If you grew up in church, you're like, I'm thinking gospel. Give me some Kirk Franklin. Come on, revolution, stomp. Like I'm thinking gospel music or, or, or maybe you're thinking gospel in this definition, good news. And that's a great definition, but it's not a full definition. That's two words. So we wanna pull on that good news about what? I mean, it's good news that I'm getting a free ice cream cone next week. That's gospel. Is that what we're saying? Like, what's gospel? Give me some explanation here. So Paul, in his opening letter, his opening statement in his letter to the Galatian believers, he tells us what gospel is, what that word is. So Galatians chapter one, verse four. Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. After Paul moves through his introductory remarks about who he is, which you will read tomorrow, Galatians 1, 1 through 5, he pivots right away in verse 4 and says, hold on, let me tell you what I mean when I say gospel. Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. I think it is best understood when it comes to the gospel to understand who we were, what God did, and why he did it. Who we were, what God did, and why did he do it? So who we were, well, it's, tell, it's told to us in the text. Well, where? Well, it says he gave himself for our sins to rescue us. In that phrase, 
our sins to rescue us, we discover who we are. For some of us who have put their faith in Jesus, who you were. Who you were was a sinner who needed rescue from this present evil age. Now that's confrontational, isn't it? Come on, play, play along with me. How many of you have I come to you? You sinner, you need rescue. That's confrontational. That's a little assertive. Hold up, back up. What do you mean a sinner? Not that bad. Rescue? I mean, sure, I make mistakes, but rescue, that implies like I'm out there in the middle of the ocean drowning. Yes. The gospel confronts us in our brokenness. The gospel says the issue with you is not that you're a good person and you need to be better. It's not even that you're a bad person who needs to be gooder. And some of you, that's your grammar. You should work on that. (laughs) The gospel says you're dead in your sins. You need rescue. You need rescue from sin. You can't work your way out of your sin. You can't behave your way out of your sin. You require rescue. So the first part of the good news is kind of bad news. We need rescue. And if we stop there, all we get is maybe you've had this version of the gospel preached to you, someone wagging a finger or blowing on a bullhorn telling you you're going to hell. No, no, no. Let's continue with the gospel. Left in your sins and left needing rescue, you are eternally separated from the Father. And yet God gave Jesus to us. Jesus gave himself up for our sins. So who we are for some or who you were, you're a sinner who needs rescue. And what does God do? He sends his son to this world to be the rescue. Now, I wanna pull on the word here for That word gave himself for our sins. The Greek word for literally means on behalf of or in the place of. Like in your place. So if we can get a visual for a moment in a courtroom, because we're gonna talk a little more about a courtroom in a moment, that you are on, on deck to be condemned as guilty and the judge is looking at you and saying, listen, you've done everything wrong. Here's the standard and you have fallen short. How do you plead? According to your standard, judge, I'm guilty. Okay, well, here's the punishment. It's death. And just when the bailiff comes to take you away, the judge gets off of the bench, gets in your place and pushes you to the side and said, but I will be condemned for you so that you might be declared innocent you've got to understand that's the grace of the gospel. It's not simply that he forgave us of our sins by snapping his fingers. Jesus gets off the throne of heaven and comes into this world for you. Can you start to believe that your story matters? He did that for you. So I'm going to give you a big term. If you're taking notes, you could write this down and I'm not going to help you spell it. Figure it out on your own. (laughs) Substitutionary atonement. That's kind of the big word surrounding this, what we believe that Jesus was the perfect substitute who atoned for our sins. He paid the price for our sins. How many remember in school or students, if you're in this space, you have some of these good days, especially during like the end of the school year when there's a substitute teacher, right? And you knew there was a test on Thursday and your teacher's not there and the substitute has no idea that you're supposed to take a test. And instead you're watching Charlie Brown and eating goldfish. And you're like, this is awesome. The substitute is here, right? Like we we have those moments. So take that and just magnify it by the cosmos. 
you have a savior that's a savior that says, I will step in for you, for your sins. I'll pay the price. Who are we? Sinners needing rescue. What did God do? Oh, he took our place on the cross so that we might be declared innocent children of God. Why? Why? Well, it's in the text. According to the will of our God and Father. Don't miss this because I don't know maybe your church experience or, or no church experience, but then hear this. Why did God do this? Simply because he did. He just did. His will, his plan, his action, his work. And do you know what that pushes against? That pushes against a religious idea that somehow the person sitting next to you deserves salvation more than you do. Based on their work, based on their lifestyle, based on their prayer abilities. No, no, it's just his will. He loves simply because he loves. And that's why our first point is this, the gospel changes everything. It completely, it completely changes everything. What God intended from the beginning in the garden for us to be image bearers that work in his kingdom, that sin marred, distorted that image. God says, I will change everything and bring my kingdom here. We just sang it. Our father, have your way on the earth. Your will be done. The gospel changes everything. It gives us a hope. Say, I have a hope. I mean, just declare that you have a hope in Jesus this morning. Now, Let's talk about the problem because the Galatian believers had a problem and it's a problem that you and I face today. The gospel is threatened. The good news that Paul preached that we just read who we are, what God did, why he did it. In his day, the gospel was under attack. It was threatened. And today is the same thing. It is, it is open to being changed. It is open to interpretation and we're going we're gonna to generalize that with just one statement, false teaching. Yes. When the gospel is changed, any deviation from you can do nothing to earn your salvation, Jesus did the perfect work. We are saved by putting our faith in. Any deviation from that is a false teaching. Yes. It's a nullified gospel. We're going to read, read his words. So here's what Paul says. I, I love it. He's just so forward. Verse six, I am astonished. He's just looking at these believers and he's like, I, Jerry, I can't believe you. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the, could you say the word with me? Grace. Called you, I'm so, this doesn't make sense. I'm astonished that you're deserting him. He called you to live in grace of Christ and you're turning to a different gospel. Now I'll share with you what the gospel was that they were turning to, but let's continue his statement. Verse seven, which is really no gospel at all. How many like that, what Paul has to say? He says, you're turning to another gospel, but it's almost like, cause he didn't have backspace. This wasn't with the computer. So he can't just like, let me do this. It's like, hold on a second. This isn't even a gospel. This isn't the good news. Evidently, some people are throwing you into conversion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. That word pervert means to twist or distort. So here's, here's Paul looking on at these believers who believe the gospel and he's saying, 
I can't believe you're doing this. I can't believe that you are embracing a confused gospel when I clearly gave you the gospel. I presented you with clarity. How many here love to live in a constant state of confusion? Just making sure you weren't gonna raise your hand. We would immediately go to prayer and anointing over you. None of us love confusion. We desire clarity. We want to understand things. And so Paul says, I've given you the clear gospel. Here's the gospel who you were, what God did, why he did it. Salvation. So what was the confusion they were being led into? Specifically for these believers in AD 50, they were being told by a group of people we call the Judaizers, the Judaizers, Jewish believers in Christ were saying to Gentile believers. So these are non-Jewish people. They didn't grow up with the Torah. They didn't grow up with the sacraments of Judaism. They didn't grow up going to temple. They were Gentiles, maybe Romans. And now they've believed in Jesus. They're saved. And a good Jewish brother comes along and says, that's so cute how you are saved because of what Jesus did. But also you need to observe all the Jewish traditions that we hold to. You need to honor the Jewish church. I mean, Jesus was Jewish. You need to honor all of our Jewish customs as well as put your faith in the perfect work of Christ in order to be saved. They were adding to the gospel. Specifically, they were adding one, one law called circumcision for the men. Now, I just want to highlight, because maybe some of you are a little skeptical about the growth track. Circumcision is not a part of our growth track here at Blaze Church. <laughs> it's just worth saying. You do you. For these guys, it was like, cool, I'm a part of the church. We're, sign me up. Cool, come back here. We're going to circumcise you. What? And also, no more bacon. Are you kidding me? No more bacon? Cheeseburgers out. What do I eat? I eat a bacon double cheeseburger every day. Dietary laws, Sabbath laws, all of it, they were being told in order to be saved, here's what else. Say what else. Here's what else you have to do. And we can look back and say, oh my goodness, how could they forsake the gospel that way? And yet today, the gospel is under the same threat. Yes. Come on, let me, let me just share with you. I wrote down three, I wrote down just three. Just three ways. Yeah, just three. Get you out by lunch. Three ways. <laughs> just three ways that I have observed in my time how the gospel has been manipulated and been under threat. Here's one, I'll call it level of faith gospel. Some of you have been in environments where there was a, a leader who was in front of the room trying to manipulate your level of faith, telling you, you just need to have more faith in order to experience the blessed life, the salvation that God has for you. Okay, that's a whole lot of pressure on you. I would respond this way. It's not the level of your faith that saves you. It's the object of your faith that saves you. It's Jesus. The person sitting next to you who may be saved and you're not, doesn't have more faith in you they've had an awareness that says, I need rescue. <laughs> I need rescue. Here, here's the second one. It's kind of the opposite of the spectrum. It's the live how you want gospel. It, it's, it's, it's extreme liberalism to say, I can do whatever I want. After all, God loves me. He accepts me for who I am, my identity, my, my, my personhood, my decisions. He just loves me so much. I can go on living however I want. And in the end, I'm saved anyway, right? No, you're nullifying the work of Jesus. You're making cheap his grace. We, we heard it last week in the sermon. He saves us to change us. He doesn't save us so we can continue living in that muck and mire, that dirt and sin. And then here's, here's another form. I'll just call it law-keeping. The law-keeping gospel. Not just unique to first century Jewish believers, but to us here. Like some of you 
wonder if you're saved if you miss a Sunday. Hey, where's that coming from? Pull on that a little bit. Your salvation is held in the hands of Jesus. He's not more proud of you or, or giving you more of his salvation based on your works and your moralism. So there, there's this next level. There's this, I can live how I want. There's this, a law keeping moralism. And all of it is what Paul says, no gospel at all. It's just not the gospel. So instead, Paul goes on and he's gonna tell them how the gospel, the gospel, not the perverted gospel, but the gospel impacted his life. Let's hear Paul's story. He says in verse 13, for you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Paul is bringing them into what they would have heard when he shared his story. He says, you knew who I was. Remember who you were, what God did, why he did it. He says, you knew who I was. And look at his words. He says, I was persecuting the church of Jesus Christ. And at the same time, I was incredibly zealous. That word means passionate. He was passionate about the traditions of his fathers. He was Jewish. So imagine Paul, he's showing up to temple. And then during the week, he's going out persecuting and overseeing the execution of Christians. How many would say it's kind of a messy story to have? You know, I don't think we humanize this moment enough for Paul. For him to know like, I oversaw the killing of Christians. And at the same time, I fully believed I was doing the work of God. It's a story. If I can give him a title, right? If you, if you had a book, the, the, the biography of Paul by Keith and Davino, Moralistic Murderer. That's what he was. He's, he's a moralistic murderer. He was so good at keeping the traditions of his fathers. Moralism led him. In fact, he goes into more of that throughout this letter. We'll read it. I, I got this. I met the bar every time. And at the same time, I was murdering people. Yeah. And he needed rescue. His story is messy. And maybe that gives you some hope for your story. Because yeah, if we're honest, many of us in this space, remember where we started, believe my story doesn't matter. Or maybe I've made too much of a mess of my story. God can't use me. He can use the person next to me, but not my story. No, no your story does matter. You need rescue like the person sitting next to you, like me, like Paul. And so what does God do with this moralistic murder? Well, he goes on and tells us. Paul says, but even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous, say the word, grace. And then it pleased him, verse 16, to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. Do you know what Paul is telling us here? He's saying, grace on repeat. God's amazing, never failing grace. Paul has an understanding now to look back over his life and say, but his grace was never stopped in my life. Before I was even born, he was calling me. He was setting me apart. He was calling me to go from being the persecutor to the preacher. Do you know what God does with this messy man named Paul? Two words, he calls. He calls him. Do you know what he does with you and I? He calls us. 
He calls us. Uh, I, my son turned nine on Wednesday. So if you see him, give him a high five and say, way to go, keeping nine years of life alive in your body, son. And then thank his parents because we did most of the work. <laughs> if I call my son, he has an option in that moment to come or not. But as the father, I'm still calling. I'm still pursuing. I'm still drawing him close to me. Now, oftentimes I'll watch, deviate for a moment. I'll watch with my son because he can kind of figure out the call based on the middle name use or not, okay? Come on. All right, and, and so what I'm doing now, a little parenting cue for you, I'm trying to work the middle name into pleasure moments and not just unpleasant moments. So I'm like, Nathaniel James Indivino, what's up? You want some ice cream, bro? The Lakers game is on. Oh, I thought I was in trouble. It's manipulation, parents. We need everything we can, okay? A little psychotic, whatever, psychology. Reverse, it's psychotic. Reverse psychology. It is, you're like, this bro needs to get a parenting seminar. A little reverse psychology. So so what, what God does for Paul, he does for us. He calls us because he loves us. See, what did, we, what did we say? The gospel changes everything, but don't miss this. The gospel changes us. And what I mean by that is if we just leave the gospel at its macro level, God changing everything and never get to the micro that he calls us, that he changes us, then it'll be good for others, but maybe not good for me. Or it'll make sense for them, but not make sense for us. God is a personal God. He calls you. Yes, God so loved the world that he gave his son and whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. His love is for the world and he calls you. I would say this way. How many, like you tell yourself, don't take it personal when someone says something to you or about you. Okay, when it comes to the gospel, take it personal every time. Some of you gotta write that down. Just take it personal. Just take it personal. He calls out to you. And and I want to read this quote. God does not love us because we are lovable. He loves us simply because he loves us. What comfort does that bring to you this morning? You're not lovable on your best day to an infinite holy God who still falls short of the standard. And he says, I love you because I love you. And he's been doing this throughout time. In fact, let me read to you the words that Moses gave the Jewish people, told them, don't forget this. I think they did, but you and I can as well. Here's what he says. The Lord did not set his heart on you and choose you because you are more numerous than other nations for you are the smallest of all nations. Rather, it was simply that the Lord loves you. He's like, if you go, if you trace back your, your ancestry, Jewish people to Abraham, he was an idol worshiper when I called him. I didn't call him based on his performance. I called him based on who I am because I'm a gracious God because I love, because I call out to people. He loves you. The gospel changes everything. The gospel changes us. And what's the last part? The gospel changes others. Here's why you've been changed. Watch this, Galatians 1.23, Paul's talking about his story, talking about people who knew who he was and who he is now. All they knew was that people were saying, the one who, pers- who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith he tried to destroy. What a story for Paul to say, hey, I went to this town in Galatia and they saw me coming and maybe they hid at first. And I said, I'm not here to persecute you. I'm actually here to preach the gospel. 
And people saw that. So I want to give you another word here, okay? This is when our story becomes a testimony. Our story, your story becomes a testimony. So what's a testimony? If you've ever seen Judge Judy, anybody? People testify about what took place. They give an eyewitness account. Here's what happened. Here's what I saw. It's a testimony. So when we hear this word in a faith environment, your testimony, what you're testifying to is the saving work of Jesus in your life. You are giving others an account of, here's who I was needing rescue. Here's what God did. Jesus is the hero of my story. And now my story is used for his glory as a testimony. So I grew up in a church tradition where Sunday night was testimony night. How many people had testimony night at the church in some fashion? The rest of you, you have been spared and you are way more blessed because you never knew when testimony night was gonna end. And you knew if sister so-and-so got the mic, she's gonna share the same story she already shared. We know how you were saved, sister, and we wanna go home. Test, but here's, what I, here's how I found testimony night. I can remember this as a kid. I would listen to people's stories of how God did in their lives, this radical transformation. And they would be sharing, you know, I was addicted to substances. I was out on the streets and someone gave me a Bible and I understand Jesus. And now I've started this non-for-profit and everything is great. And I would sit there in the front row saying, my story is so boring. Maybe I should try drugs. (laughs) It would be way more of a compelling story. I mean, here I am a church kid. My dad's the pastor on stage. Like, I, I can do all 66 books of the Bible in under a minute. Get me in sword drills. I will find that verse. Go check my sticker chart. Like, that's my story. And then I realized this, something Louis Giglio says. If you have a story marked by grace, you have a story worth sharing. Yes. Oh, if this morning you could just not leave here with story envy. And that might be towards the negative or towards the positive. Well, how come their marriage looks like that? How come my career didn't take off their way? How come I had to endure cancer? How come I had to go through all of this? No, what if you you didn't have story envy, but you recognize the same gracious God that has met the person next to you is calling out to you today and saying, if you will surrender your story to me, I will make it a testimony. Here's what John saw in his revelation of Jesus. He makes this declaration. He's, he's seeing and he's hearing, and there's this angel who's speaking to him, and he's wondering, how did these believers make it through such tumultuous times? How did they endure such tribulation and persecution? And the response comes this way. They triumphed over him, him being the enemy. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb. That's our salvation. Jesus does the work and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. So don't miss this. Jesus changed you so that you could share that story and be a trailblazer for other people. Your story matters. You need to know your testimony. So let me give you some help. Who were you before Jesus? How has Jesus changed you now? Notice it's Jesus, it's Jesus. He's the hero of our gospel testimony. Who were you? What were you living for? Where was your identity and purpose? Those are two great words to pull on. So maybe, hey, before Jesus, wasn't anything negative, but your identity was wrapped up in your career and your purpose was to further that career. And your, and your, your worship was towards approval of others. You felt good when they approved of you, or maybe it was a sense of power as you climbed the corporate ladder. And then you realized all of that is a, 
it's idolatry. Someone shared the gospel with you because it takes someone else. How many of you by a show of hands would say that the reason why you believe in Jesus is because someone told you about Jesus? By the way, everyone's hands should go up here because no one has personal revelation moments, not even the apostle Paul. Jesus met him on the road to Damascus and he still needed brother Ananias to come alongside of him. So if anyone emerges from a cave and says, I've got this new revelation, it's called false teaching. Okay, you need community. That's why small groups matter. We need to know our stories. And here's how Paul ends the chapter. Their response, their response, that's the people who heard his story. Their response was to recognize and worship God because of me. How beautiful would it be if the people in your life made the same declaration that people in Paul's life made? your coworkers, your family members, your friend's circle, and they're starting to worship the Lord because of your testimony. Be a trailblazer. God has done this work. And this morning as I was considering, what do we do next, Jesus, with this? How how do we move from this moment of Galatians 1? The only thought that came into my head was gratitude just to express our gratitude to the one who rescued us from our sins according to the will of God.